everybody. In this episode of Paul Julian and Friends, I get a chance to sit down with man, a really, truly man about town, Red Willingham. We get to hear his long and interesting story. Red is 87 years old. He's got a magnetic personality when he shows up at a restaurant or a, some of the places we hang out, women especially, but dudes too. I mean, everybody's just, it's red. It's a line of people to shake his hand and give him a hug. And we've been trying to get this podcast done for a while now. And it's an interesting conversation. Red gives us some stories about his life and times and what he thinks is important. To enjoy a, a long life and a healthy life and a mostly happy life. So I hope you will enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. And remember, please, the best thing you can do to help the podcast is to like, subscribe, send it out to your friends so we can get a lot of listens and we can share more stories of interesting people like Red Willingham. So thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Today I'm here with Mr. Red Willingham. I don't know if Red is your given name. Is that no, your that's, birth that's just a nickname. What is your real name? Okay. Your given name. Uh, I've always signed C A, but in my office it was with parentheses Red because everybody knows me as that. Mm-hmm. And the Red just stuck with me since I was a little bitty kid because I had red hair, you know, right. red hair. So what does C A stand for? Okay, it stands for Carlos Avon. Carlos. Uh huh. Carlos. It's supposed to be spelled with an A, but it's spelled it like Mexican, and it's not. I'm an Englishman. But back when I was born, everything was phonetic, you know. I've come across that several times in checking out genealogy. And your middle name was? Avon. Avon? The like, river. Like the, the river. cosmetics? The river, yeah. Okay. That's what it means, the river. Okay. My grandmother named me. I guess she thought I was going to stick around a while. <laughs> I don't know. Keep on rolling, you know. Carlos Avon. But well, I would have never guessed that. Uh-uh. I would have never guessed no, that. No, most people wouldn't. Where were you born at? I was born in Gilmer, Texas in 1936. 36. You that were... was about 12 miles from where the family lived in a little community called Shady Grove, which is four miles north of Big Sandy. Gilmer was the county seat and had the only hospital, I think, in the county. I don't know. I can remember them taking me by the doctor's office. They had a little house there in town. I can remember later them saying, that's where you were born. Really? <laughs> it just looked like a little house. It wasn't like, it yeah, wasn't a hospital. It wasn't in the hospital. Yeah, it's, what do you remember about growing up in Gilmer? Just well, like that? Well, not in Gilmer. Actually, in the, in the okay. community out there. Outside, right. And I remember the grandparents. I remember them building a house. I remember them cutting firewood. He was disabled. Who was? My grandfather. Okay. At early age, like 50. I'd go down every year and, and spend a month or two in the country with him. You know, I remember picking cherry out of the cherry tree and all kind of stuff with him. Were they close to you? Oh, yeah. Physically? Very, I mean, okay, it wasn't like traveling across the state. You, oh, just, no. you just ran over. Yeah. And then uh, later they moved to Dallas, actually Mesquite. And I looked after him all the time. The folks moved to Boma. My dad had a job transfer. I looked after him and, you know, leveled the house and patched the roof and dug up the garden and mowed the grass and all that stuff. So it was good. They, they were able to tell me a whole lot of stuff that you don't find looking up genealogy. I had a, I had a lot of history firsthand or secondhand. Well, let's talk about that. Um, you were saying something late 1800s or the mid-1800s? Uh, 1852. I think it was the year they moved to Dallas. Great-great-grandfather. 
They came over from Georgia, started out in Dallas, and he was hauling goods to Jefferson was a port then. He hauled goods to there, and I remember my grandfather telling me that the great-great-grandfather had told him that Dallas was nothing but mosquitoes and mud. <laughs> and I remember back back in the 50s when I was working downtown, everything flooded, you know, uh -huh. until they built those big dikes. Right. You can figure on mud being in the downtown streets there for in the 50s. Well, come a long way in a lot of ways, haven't we? Yeah. Some of it good, some of it not so good. Sure. It they took the to flying red horse down, and now they got it back. They got a replica back. And the funny thing about it, one of my uncles, my mother's brother, was a building engineer for Magnolia. It's a Magnolia oil company building mm -hmm. that the horse was on. I have an uncle that was born late. He's two years older. So we'd go down and ride the streetcar downtown sometimes. You know, he'd let us go up on the damn roof and look at the, look at the horse turning. Was he involved in putting it up there or just no it was already there had been there for years but he was a building engineer so he had to keep it running okay i see go up there i bet that was interesting to see it really was you know how big was that thing oh it's huge you, you think it's little bitty right looking at it up on a 30-story building but it's a huge thing big old uh, round rail that it ran on looked like a railroad track mm -hmm. they had to keep it greased up real real greasy you know yeah out in the weather all the time uh -huh. do you remember what i guess I mean, there's constant construction for no telling how many years, you know, in Dallas okay. and around and everything. Oh, I remember Central Expressway. Uh -huh. They worked on that thing for years, and they're still working on they it. They are. Beltline Road used to be, I mean, yeah. I'm a lot younger than you, or a little bit younger than you, but Beltline Road was like, that was you'd go there. all the way around the Metroplex. Yeah. Back in the day, that was the original, uh, whatever they call it now, not a loop. Yeah, well, then they come along with 635 and put it around. Mm-hmm. They just keep, the loop just keeps getting uh -huh. bigger and bigger. They keep I wonder if they're going to build another one. That's uh, what I heard. Where is it going to come around? I don't know. There's too many people in Dallas. They're inching their way out here. Uh -huh. I don't know if you've been up there since, but they built another another bridge extension at Forney over the river. I haven't and, been that way. Well, it's, it, it's always tied up there. I had to take my grandson to a doctor up there for a year off and on every, every month. And I would always figure to allow 30 minutes extra for the stoppage at, no, at the really. river. Just always. get just going one way, 30 minutes? Yeah. Really? Kind of what did you do as a boy? I mean, you growing up, um, so you were born in 36? Six, uh-huh. Okay, that's the same year my uh, mother-in-law. I had two cousins. And sometimes they would come down, and the three of us would spend a month maybe with grandparents, you know. They were uh, kids from one of her sisters. And the grandparents were three sisters and two brothers. Okay. So a lot of times those boys would come. And we hunted and fished and swam, and, you know, all the crazy stuff in the woods. Yeah, and you were um, probably on your own. You left at sun up and yeah. came back at sundown. Yeah. Sometimes. You know, don't get hurt. You know, <laughs> mother fixes a little sandwich sack. Y'all boys don't get hurt. Come back by dark. So, yeah. yeah. Man, times have changed. I mean, yeah. I had a lot of freedom as a as a kid but you know nothing like not like that well my great great grandfather and the family came over here in like 52 like i said and he had a parcel of kids and they're scattered out all over texas the offspring i'm always running into somebody that's my cousin you know oh really but my grandfather my great grandfather died six years before i was born he was born in 56 here in East Texas. He was the 1856. first one born. 1856. No, yeah, 1856, yeah. yeah. I remember he was, uh, he died in 30. So he died six years before. I never got to know him, but I did know the grandmother. There's a, 
the whole line of that. Her mother was a heroine in the Civil War. She's buried over here at Little Mound. Her name was Emma Sansom, and there's stuff written about her all over. What was the last name? Sansom. Sansom. Okay. They got a statue to her at the, at the river in Gadsden, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Because she supposedly took uh, Forrest Bedford and his 300 troops and showed them how to cross the damn river. You know. Really? Yeah. Man. So, and they gave her a, they gave her a 640-acre grant, but she never took it. One of her offspring, I found out later, worked at the company where I did. Because there was a lady there that did a bunch of genealogy. She told me one day, said, did you know so-and-so is your cousin? And I said, well, I know I didn't. How, how, <laughs> But she had dug it all up, told me all about it. You know? Yeah. Have you done any genealogy type stuff? Or I have like, a good bit. Have you? It's easier now with the, with that website. But back when, like I told you, I was lucky because I knew the grandparents and great-grandparents. Yeah. You've so seen I knew a lot of stuff that you would never find in a book or a deed. You know? mm -hmm. My mother's dad, he told me a lot of stories. He died when he was 99. Really? All of them by in the late 90s. My mother really? died early in 92. You know. He told me a lot of stories, and they came over here, and I don't know if you've been through that country, but they got mountains and valleys, and I don't know how in the hell you get through it with a wagon. But he told me it took them three months with wagons uh, to get to North Texas from, uh, from Alabama. Really? Three months. How long would it take to get there today? Yeah. He was <laughs> yeah. 11 when they got here. Yeah. And his dad developed pneumonia and died pretty soon right away. I don't think we have an appreciation of how tough the times were and how tough the people had to be. Right. These kids have no idea. Tell me more about your grandparents. I mean, I, what, what were their names? Tell me okay. all the, the family that you remember, the, you know, grandparents, both sides, okay. great-grandparents, if you know uh, them. Amos Jackson was my great-great-grandfather. Maternal and or he's the one that came here and settled. His son, his youngest son, last one, was my grand great grandfather. And he's the one that died in thirty. And he was married to Emma Sansom's daughter. And I remember her quite well. Uh, she and her brother died on the same day and had a double funeral. So I've seen I've, I've seen a whole lot of unusual things. Were they related in their deaths? I mean was no, it they were they were brother and sister. But Did they, their deaths have anything to do with each other? It's just the way it happened. Just happened. Oh, probably a day apart, something okay. like that. But I remember going to that funeral. My great grandfather, my grandmother's father, wrote a history of Upshur County. Really? And uh, the, the Gilmer Mirror published it. He wrote a little brochure on all the little communities around. He was a big writer and a poet and all kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I went into the library one day looking for something. I asked this little old librarian probably my age or more I said hey I looked in the pioneer section I didn't find George Henry Beard she oh it's in the back she said I'll have to we only let the, the family or researchers see that and I said well guess what I'm family <laughs> two generations down so she went and got it for me yeah and I went through it and I told her I said I'm going to send you a, a little brochure there was one brochure in there one of the little towns they didn't have mm -hmm. so I made a copy of it I had one of them made a copy. I remember my grandfather, when we lived at Mesquite, us boys are always riding all over on our bicycles and going fishing and whatever, you know. And one day he said something to me. He said, son, said, the next time you go through Pleasant Mound up there, would you go look in that cemetery? He said, I had two little brothers that died of pneumonia on a trip to Dallas. 
nobody ever knew it. You know, I, I'm probably the only person in the world that knows it now. Mm -hmm. Well, one time up there, us boys, three or four of us rode bicycles, and, and I went to that cemetery, and sure enough, found their found the graves, the really? headstones. Yeah. And, and they were like 14 and 16 or some such. Well. But it was way back in the, uh, oh God, been the 19, early 1900s. I don't remember what year now. Yeah. I used to have all that stuff on the top of my head, but I don't anymore. <laughs> we still got a lot. But little you. little anecdotes like that that people would would never know about, Absolutely. or what's interesting. And, and like I said, I was really fortunate because I had my my great grandmother, my my great grandfather, uh, then all of the grandfathers. Mm -hmm. And grandmothers, you know. Well, let's, I want to hear all their names. I want to know all their names. Okay. George Henry Baird was my mother's, my grandmother's dad, and uh, lived in in uh, Big Sandy. He was, a, he was. Matter of fact, he was a county commissioner at one time too. But everybody, everybody was just crazy about him. And his his wife had died, so I never knew his wife. Well, and he died when he was 85. I guess I met him. Well, he died when I was. Just either just out of school or about to be. I don't. I can't remember for sure. But I know he was 85, born in 72, I think. I had a, a lot of stuff to work with, and I don't know if you know this. You know old Sherman, a, a great Union general. Okay. They tried to get Robert E. Lee for the Blue Army, mm -hmm. and he wouldn't take it because he was loyal to Virginia, his state. He wound up running out. Well, Sherman came in, and he was trying to starve the South into submission, burning all the crops. Mm -hmm. Most people don't know why we have black-eyed peas on New Year's Day, because he didn't burn the black-eyed peas. He thought it was stock food, and he wanted it for the horses and cattle. Oh, okay. And that's why we have black-eyed peas, because the people survived on it pretty much. You know? Wow. There's so much about history that we don't that we don't really know about. He quit burning. Uh, a few miles this side of Covington, Georgia, because I went into the courthouse at Covington, Georgia, and got a copy of my grandfather's birth, uh, marriage certificate mm -hmm. years ago, because he he quit burning. You know, he burned the whole damn. It was scorched earth, and that was the whole idea to uh, starve the people out where they'd submit. You know, I'm glad he did it because I got the copy of the birth the, <laughs> the marriage license, and I got the same thing. Uh, Ella J. Georgia, up in the in the valley of the other of the Painter family, mm -hmm. I've been my great grandfather there. Now I did know I did meet I did know his wife. Matter of fact, I've got a couple of pictures of her. That was back in the days when they used a little pony for all the kids to ride, you know. Yes. And I've got a picture. I think it's me and somebody else on one of those little ponies, and she's in that picture. Oh really? Did you always or just come come by it naturally? Being interested in like genealogy and family history, I, I guess I did because I knew so much stuff that I'd heard firsthand, you know. Mm -hmm. And there were so many things, like the statue over there and the books he'd written. Uh, it was, you know, interesting. I don't know. I just one day said, "Heck, I'm gonna figure out who everybody was." Mm -hmm. And you know, there's five generations buried in one cemetery down at Shady Grove. Really, the the great great grandfather on down. Mm -hmm down to, to my dad's and mother, and one of his sisters, and let's see, his brothers are buried somewhere else. I took my grandson down there one time, and I said, hey, this person over here was your great-great-great-great-grandfather, you know. And, That's a lot of greats. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of greats. 
when my little one gets up, I'll have to count up, see what, how many he'd be. He's my great-great-grandson, so you have a whole pile ahead of him. So. Yeah, you will. <laughs> you will. What do you remember, or do you remember being talked about times during the First World War and maybe I the 20s and kind of the, the 30s first. when we kind of went into the Depression? Do you remember talk about? I remember that one uncle because he, he traveled the country. He was, you wouldn't call him a hobo because he always dressed nice, you know. Uh-huh. But he would walk and ride the buses and went all over the country. And he was in the First World War. Now, he's buried in that same cemetery. But he'd come out and see his brother and stay a week or two or three and then he'd hit the road again, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, World War II, my dad had two sisters and three brothers. And he was the oldest and they farmed. So he had to st- stay and run the farm and the other three, three boys uh, joined the Navy, Army, and Marines. One of them became a warrant officer. Do you remember times being particularly tough? You didn't think about it. Uh, they didn't have so much stuff that kids want nowadays. Right. Uh, we had it tough, but hell, we got by. We had plenty to eat. I had a real good school class. We still have reunions, and all of us get along. We have for all these times. There's about 25 left out of 63. Really? Yeah. That's a lot. I know it. Well, we're all 85 and 6, you yeah. know, or 7. Yeah, 86 and 7. We have a, the school puts on a a reunion every year for the 50 and over. I don't mm-hmm. know why they didn't do it 25. My company does it 25. Mm-hmm. Depleted some with all this bullshit with COVID, mm-hmm. distancing and all that crap. So many people uh, thought it was good. Now Fossey's saying it wasn't. It didn't help anyway. He, I've heard him, uh, I've read some things. He says, I don't know a lot or I don't recall. That's a Bill Clinton line, I do not recall, uh, that sort of thing. So I heard he said that quite a bit. Yeah, it does, all of a sudden doesn't. Well, he finally out. admitted that the distancing didn't really help, and he didn't know how much the uh, mask may have helped. I guess the, the telling factor would be the fact that he was worth two and a half million three years ago, and now he's worth seven and a half. Imagine that. So right. I don't. That's pretty good. That's growth, a pretty good rate of return. Um, yeah, really. <laughs> pretty good. Sound like a Biden return. deal, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> when I was about fifteen, I guess moved to Dallas, sold the farm, home place moved up there. I still had a couple of cousins down here. Matter of fact, still have one that lives in that in that same area. And I, well, the funniest thing happened. You know my granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Well, she had two little girlfriends. And one day, one of them came over to the house. And they come from, Shady, from uh, what's that town? Hawkins and, and Big Sandy. She and her girlfriend. She got talking about her girlfriend. I said, uh, uh, she said, she's in Big Sandy. And I said, well, uh, what's her name? She told me. And her last name was Snow. Well, I got some relatives named Snow. So I said, well, ask her about grandparents and grandparents. Come to find out, one of the twin boys that uh, they sang, and they had done my dad's funeral, they're her grandfather. Oh, really? And uh, I told Leon, I said, well, you got a cousin you didn't know about. There's some more out there, too. <laughs> Plenty more out there, sound like. I think my great grandmother was born in Ben Wheeler, and that had to be exactly. like she died in the early. She'd she died in the mid '80s, 1870s or '80s, somewhere along in there. And she died in the mid '80s, so she, probably around 1900 that she was born. I did a little bit of genealogy work. My my mom did some way back, but she never really shared it. I always got the impression she she just like ah, eh, I don't think we really want to know this. <laughs> well, that kind well, of stuff. My painter cousins wanted me to write it all up. It was at a time when I was real busy. Mm-hmm. 
and didn't really have time to fool with it, and I'd kind of lost interest. You know? mm-hmm. I'd gone back just about as far as I could, and I never would have gotten that far if I had known some of those things that were told to me. Yeah. You know? Just like, picking up little uh, bits and pieces. We talked about the uh, phonetics. I was looking for my grandfather's mother, painter, my mother's dad's mother, and her name was Cynthia. And, and back then, you had these microfish and these cards, and mm-hmm. it had their name and where they lived, the county, and... and uh, Occupation. Yeah, and it, it'd have uh, check marks for how many people of what ages in the in the family. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked all through the year that I knew for a fact that she was there. Could not find it. Finally, I was flipping that, that microfish, and it stopped on a, a card, and the card said, Cindy, S-I-N-D-Y painter. <laughs> S-I-N-D-Y. <laughs> and her name was Cynthia, but everybody called her Cindy. Yep. So, you know, S-I-N-D-Y sounded right to that girl that did their, their yeah. list. The little bit of stuff that I did, I was, I saw a lot of, apparently dirt farming was a, a profession back in the day. I mean, that was, you know, something people, call, I, I guess that'd be a, basically a sustenance farmer. You oh, mean, yeah. just well, farming what you could live off of, you know, had a, piece of dirt. And yeah, I remember eating watermelons and big old red tomatoes out of the garden. Mm-hmm. I remember my grandmother. She always had a little bit of a garden and everything. And My great-grandmother, excuse me. My <laughs> grandmother wasn't. <laughs> she wasn't farming nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, they all forgot how to do anything. Hey, we can. I can remember helping them can, peeling the tomatoes and sliding the skin off of them and, mm-hmm. and all that. Picking stuff out of the garden. Yeah, I remember my great grandmother cooking uh, salmon croquettes. Oh you know, yeah, cro- right. I, guess, I guess that's what they're called. But man, I, that's the one dish I can remember her cooking. They sure were good. Well, I still like it better than plain salmon. You know? Yeah. What'd you do growing up? Your, your school age years? I, I went to school in Mesquite. Went two or three years, the lower years. But from the sixth grade on, I went to Mesquite. Graduated there. Was and, there uh, one high school or? There was one high school then. Okay. Which one was that? And I guess that Old Mesquite. Old Mesquite. Yeah. Toured down about three years ago and uh, rebuilt, built a new one. Funny thing, I, I went had a funeral in Mesquite, and I had some time to kill. And I drove by the old, the old front of the building, you know, and they were tearing it down. Had bulldozers out there. I saw two or three of the guys from work, and one of them had moved to Mesquite. And I said, "Well, Rick, what are you doing?" He said, "Well, I'm zoning dude for Mesquite." I said, "Well, why did you let them tear down my high school?" You know? <laughs> Yeah, we had 63 graduates in 1954. Yeah, and 25 of them are still alive. That's right. Man, so did y'all spend a lot of time at Townie Small back in the day? Uh, Big Town was when they built Big Town, you know. (laughs) I remember going to Big Town. Yeah. I bet that was... That was something. Yeah, I can remember walking th- in. There used to be a, another department store right behind it. Uh, there was a Monkey Ward there. Yeah. And a Sears. I think there was a Penny's. I'm not maybe, sure. Maybe so. So it would have been late 60s, uh-huh. uh, early 70s, going to Big Town. Yeah, when did they tear it down? Ten years ago? Yeah, it wasn't that long ago, but it yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah. It was probably around ten years ago. Were you a man about town? Were you a uh, we like student council president? Were you uh, a hobnobber? Were you a well? I was the school favorite, and senior favorite, and all that. Played basketball. Uh-huh. Several years ago, we had several years classes that had a, a joint deal, mm-hmm. and a couple of the little girls that were in school with my with my sisters. One of them said to me, "You used to be a lot taller," and I said, "No, you used to be a lot shorter." <laughs> 
that I played basketball, and I guess I looked taller than little yeah. girls then, you know. You're pretty and athletic. I had, I had intended to do several other things, but uh, I wound up, I had a job for the summer, and I was going to need the money to make it to school, you know, to open up. I showed up for the job, and it was gone. Oh, really? Yeah. Downtown what kind of job was it? And uh, it was a, a retail job downtown. Uh-huh. Downtown and, Dallas. Oh, and the guy said, well, I, well, I, well, he mumbled around, you know. I said, well, why didn't you call me or send me a letter or some darn thing, you know. I said, hell, the jobs are all taken now. But I went on wound up going to work for the company I had already worked for one summer. Mm-hmm. And I stayed with them about six years before I went to work with Mutual. So what was the name of that company that you first went to Great work for? Great National Life Insurance. So how old were you then? I would have been 17 or 16 probably when I took the first job. Okay. I had a relative that had worked there. Okay. I had an aunt that had worked there. And uh, I met some of the people. Mm-hmm. So I just went in and said, hey, we, we need some help, you know. Yeah. And then through them was how I got the job with Mutual of Omaha because uh, one day the chairman of the board called me up and I thought, oh my, what have I done to get wow. fired from I'll the top? so, yeah. He said, Red said, I've got a good friend and he's trying to set up a collection system and needs some moonlight. He said, how would you like to go do that and make a little extra money? I said, I'd like that just fine. And I wound up running that company. <laughs> What was the name of the company? That was Mutual of Omaha. You ran Mutual of Omaha? The re, the, the, they had five offices, five regional offices. And I had the Southwest Division, which was Texas, Oklahoma, and Louisiana. I had 50 offices scattered through them, 300 employees in Dallas. And, uh, so you came up through the ranks and Mutual of Omaha, Wild Kingdom? Yeah. What was that guy's name that hosted that show? Uh, uh, Marlon Perkins was Marlon first. Perkins, that's right. And then Jim Fowler, Jim died three years ago. They had several kind of helpers. Mm-hmm. I used to take Jim on all our conventions. Yeah. Everybody just loved for him to be there, you know. We'd find some kind of animal somewhere. He'd help him bring some out. I remember going to Florida one time, had somebody bring a Florida panther over. You know? Really? Yeah. And then the, the, the latest guy in the group was Peter Gross. And he, he cohorted with Jim. Several years. I still hear from him occasionally. Mm-hmm. He lives in Northern California. We took him on several of our... I, t- I told him one day, he came over here for something. We had something going on. It was during deer season. And I said, Pete, one of these days, uh, I'll, if you're here at the right time, we'll slip off and I'll take you down to our deer camp. You can bring your camera. And he said, I wouldn't mind shooting a deer. <laughs> <laughs> he was a really nice guy. He was real good looking. All the gals. I used to have a picnic in the, in the backyard at the company every so often barbecue or whatever mm-hmm. for the for the house folks and I'd have him or Jim or both of them and we'd get some some animals from local we had no boy up in the, uh, close to Allen that died a couple of years ago that had a bunch of animals really and uh, he'd always bring us some mm-hmm. like what kind of animals oh we had he had he had a 20 foot long snake that he had raised from a baby. Okay, I'm out died three or four years ago, as a matter of fact. Really? The snake died? Yeah, the snake died. Oh. I sent a copy of the page article to, to Jim in Connecticut. He'd bring what do that. you do? What uh, do you do with a 20 foot long snake? Well, he had to carry him in a four foot long box, you know, yeah. rolled up and take two people to carry it. Because he weighed so. about 200 pounds. Yeah. But what do you do when, it, when it's not in the box? That's what I want to know. What, where does it just hang out? I don't know if what he had for it, to, if he have a chain link or what. Man, it'd have to be. <laughs> I wouldn't want it around me. I was going to say, yeah. One time. Especially he, he gets hungry? Yeah. Well, one time uh, they came out, we had some kind of shindig there, and, 
and the snake had, had been to a, a school thing the day before, and the little gal that was kind of his caretaker had a bandage on her down on her leg. And I knew her, and I asked her, what happened to your leg, you know? She said, well, somebody forgot to feed the snake. Wow. And a snake bit me. Hmm. They're wild animals, even if they've been right. with you, you know, sure. their whole life. They got to eat. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I don't know what I would do if a 20-foot-long snake I don't either. got a hold of my leg, but I don't know if they would be there the next day uh, for, <laughs> for me to tote around. <laughs> <laughs> my old black cat, it was a house while ago, he's killed six copperheads out here. I'm, I like to have him around. Man, no kidding. He's a keeper. Yeah. He's about 16 years old, so he may be through with his killing. I don't yeah. know. We haven't seen any. Well, I saw one little one this year, okay. and he must have killed it and brought it up on that screened-in porch mm -hmm. because it's only about yay long. Yeah. Kill them while they're young. Yeah. How do you go from showing up with the CEO inviting you to do some moonlighting work to running however many hundreds or thousands well, of people? I worked for a time in the data processing lab for TI. I, I left the company. Undercurrent, I had heard that the old man didn't want to hire somebody from his friend, you know, Fossilite. Mm -hmm. And uh, so one day they called me over and said, hey, can you come over here and do some stuff for us? I, I'd ordered machinery for them then, and they offered me the job to come full time, and I did. And what and was the job? Th at that time, they had 146 employees and about 28 million in premium. And in this the three is states. what company we're talking about now? That's Mutual Woman. Okay. The, the division had that. Gotcha. They had uh, a bunch of stuff that was just hand, hand done. Mm -hmm. And they had, I don't remember now, an old Remington Rand bookkeeping system where you put a big old card in a machine yeah. and typed it. So I converted all that to a regular general ledger and ran it on my computer. And I made all kind of reports for them that they didn't have, but they were doing by hand, you know. You were a techie. Oh, yeah. yeah. I had I built the system, designed the form, and wrote the programs. And, wow. And for three or four years, operated it until I got got so damn much of it, I finally had to hire a couple of people. Our our boss was a, was a pioneer in the industry. His name was Ernest Hundall. He was a he was a thinker, and he was always coming up with an idea to do something. He started a, a big line of policies to try to, to keep the government out of the health insurance business for a while. It seems like he would come up with something, and a bunch of us would sit around in the coffee room or maybe in his office after after work, you know, and visit. He'd say, well, you know, I might, it'd be nice if we had so-and-so. I remember one time I was sitting at a coffee table, and three of the guys sitting there, one of them had a master's degree and the other two had a bachelor's, and I'm dropout, you know. <laughs> and one of the guys, I never will forget it, he's dead now. He said, I wonder who the old man's going to get to do that job. Well, I did the job, you know. Oh, really? He died. His son ran it for a while, and when it came time to... We had a, a pretty much autonomous operation. It was different from the rest of the company. And they kept it that way mm -hmm. and asked me, did I want to take a job? I, I said, yeah, so I did. What does mutual mean when you're talking about an insurance company, mutual most of it was Most of it was health insurance. They did sell a lot of disability and life insurance. Life was a separate company. United of Omaha was a life company and it was incorporated in, in uh, 1920. Uh, Mutual was incorporated in 08. Now they they sell mostly med subs because you know they talk they talk about right now Texas has got more insured people than any other state. I wonder why that is. Well 
I can tell you why some of them, because three million of them I had insured, and overnight their policies weren't worth a damn, so they were canceled. Really? When Obamacare came out, mm. and that was a crazy mixed up mess. That's one of the worst things that's ever, ever been forced off on the people, yeah. in my opinion. Right. If you don't believe it, go look at what premiums are, what the hospital charges, yep. and how big the deductibles are. Pretty much anything that the government gets in is... Like Reagan said, we're here from the government, we're here to help you. <laughs> Nine words and nine words and the worst in the world. Right. What do you think about the life? In, were you mostly in the health side? Well, I had to do all the systems for for all of it. Okay. Uh, we didn't. We had. A, I don't know what company to relate it to now. I haven't read. The, I haven't kept up with what they're doing. We only had about a, a twenty-five million in premium in life business. We were a small company, but it was solid. They were very conservative. Mm -hmm. uh, most of our stuff was health insurance. Okay. And that That's private pay health insurance. Back right. in the day when right. there really wasn't corporate plans right. so much. We had we did sell some group, but not very much. Okay. Some of the guys liked it, but group insurance was like feast or famine. Mm -hmm. And when you lose it, you lost a bunch. You know? Yeah. If you tried to build your business on it, you'd be out of business. Yeah. How long were you there with the company? 35 years. I think it was actually 36. Yeah. The ring says over 30. Okay, got that. <laughs> I hadn't worn this ring in years. I picked it up a week or two ago trying to get something out of a box. <laughs> Do you consider yourself retired? Yeah. How were you when you retired? 58. 58? Actually, they made it come out 59 so they could jack with my retirement uh -huh. thing a little bit. I left the fire department when I was 58. My dad did the same thing. At his, at really? He, he worked for Central Freight Line. My first job out of high school was with Sin. My dad was a you know part-time driver. He, he was on the fire department too. They had a bunch of uh, off-duty firemen that you know drove the around town deliveries. Yeah, farm. local deliveries. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, my dad had worked for the company for years, and when I graduated, they moved to Beaumont. They they waited two or three months so we could I could finish school. He moved down there for to take a job at terminal dispatcher in Beaumont, Texas. Mm -hmm. And they lived there from, from then on. That's where he died. I was thinking about, you know, I was thinking about things to talk about when I was driving over here today. And is it my imagination or did you know or have dealings with Zig Ziglar? No, I met him one time. Oh, okay. Uh, we never used him for motivationals. Mm -hmm. I don't know why we never did. I met him one time at, at some deal. We had two or three different people that we had gotten over time. I let the home office do that. Okay. I had a... I had a kind of a counterpart. He called me Source because he didn't know what was what was happening, you know. Yeah. And he called me it was the day they gave him a job. His predecessor retired, and he called me and he said, I, "I'm sure you already know this, but I got a new job." <laughs> <laughs> and I right. said, "Well, have you gotten any sharks after you yet?" And he said, "They're all lined up." So, but uh, I got I I got to pick my counterpart. You know, mm -hmm. he was a heck of a nice guy. We never had any problems. Uh, there were a few things that I had to follow company policy on. You know, yeah. all the federal crap, EEOC, and all the stuff that's been declared uh, unconstitutional now. And there were some things that, that I had to uh, take, but we had some precedents down here that they didn't know about. They had, one old boy called me one time. Matter of fact, it was before I was the GM. I called my, my predecessor, and he called me and said, Red, talk to this dude up there. So I did. He wanted to know about Louisiana. And we got a lawsuit in Louisiana with one of their policies, the national policy. Mm -hmm. 
he said, here's, here's what it looked like, and he explained it, and then he said, here's what we, how we were going to approach it. Does that sound right? I said, only if you want to lose. Louisiana has Napoleonic laws, mm -hmm. and they're altogether different from the other 49 states. Yeah. And I saw that old boy four or five years ago. I went up there for, I had a state consultant for a good long while, and even after that time was over, I still had to hear from him all the time. Yeah. I went up there, and this little old guy was handling this, this particular thing said, hey, there's a guy that wants to meet you. And it must have been 20 years before when I had talked to him about that case. Yeah. And he came up to me and told me his name. I said, oh, yeah, you had the case in Louisiana. <laughs> That's back when I had memory. All right. And you, well, clearly you were the favorite singer, uh, all-star athlete, <laughs> just a man about town. Was your dad like that, your mom like that? Where would you get your my personality was, from? My dad was more an introvert. Everybody liked him. My mother was, too. Everybody's crazy about her. She's just a sweet little old lady, but she didn't want to be on the front line. Mm -hmm. My dad didn't mind, but he didn't, he didn't particularly care. He was active in church, you know. Uh, he didn't, didn't particularly care for the limelight. Of course, I didn't either, but I fell into it, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah, some of that stuff you do because you have to. Yeah. I didn't want the job of running that company. I'd rather cause things to happen mm -hmm. and be the frontispiece. Right. I wound up being... Hell, all the systems in there I had built, but then I had to be the, be the speech maker after that. So. <laughs> Took all the fun out of it, didn't it? Yeah. Where'd you learn your dance moves from? Uh, act by accident. Just came naturally. Yeah, and then I, I met some. Well, I, I I met some gal. I went over to one of their little parties one time. And I think they they wanted me. To, they gave me a couple of lessons, but you know it's bullshit lessons. But anyway, the owner of that Murray bunch said, "Hey." Why don't you come over and sit through our, our instructor school? Oh, okay. So I did for a while. I had the time. Is that I, like you know, Arthur Murray? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, and I dated a couple of gals that were instructors and very good. You know? uh -huh. So I picked up a lot of stuff there. I found a, a dance partner on the outside. that danced, We left footprints on every place in Dallas. Really? And uh, I, I think she died. I don't know. You remember her name? Bonnie Boyd. Bonnie Boyd. Yeah, yeah. They lived up in northeast Texas at Mount at Vernon. Did you uh, get in trouble for dancing? Because uh, any uh, religious nope. implications? No, I was. Uh, I did it after hours. I get you. They always expected me to start the dancing off when we had our banquets and stuff, Christmas parties and crap. Uh -huh. Well, you're very good at it to this day. I, I, Forty years ago, I might have been pretty good. I don't know about now. <laughs> <laughs> Consistency and longevity uh, plays a big role. So if, if you're still hitting the dance floor at 87, then uh, I saw you dance recently, and you still got it. That's impressive. Did you ever do like competitive or just for fun and just because of love we'd, of it? We'd have contests and whatnot, win an award for being the best in a bunch. Mm -hmm. At their, their little parties for their little old ladies that they try to sell extra. <laughs> And they did sell a bunch and a bunch of them. Those little old ladies get all... Yeah, they were always saying, hey, why don't you dance with Lady X? Uh -huh. So when uh, you went to work, Big Wig in an insurance operation in Dallas... That, that uh, happened, let's see, it was 80-something when they, when they named me GM. 85 or 6. I've been the assistant general manager for years. So mm -hmm. I was the person that had to go do everything. Yeah. At what point did a gal come along? Talking wives now. Okay, we got we got married in like 70. Ten years later, we got a divorce and then remarried. She died a year or two ago. I'm sorry. She always figured it. 
she had died with 65 and I lived to 90, so I'm damn near 90, but she stayed <laughs> along with me. You know. What was her name? Judy. She was a talented person, hell of an artist. Yeah, she had all kinds of emotional problems, and I was the target. Or the cause. <laughs> Did y'all have any children with you and her? She couldn't. I had three before. She couldn't have kids. Okay. Yeah, I had already been married and had a son and two daughters. Okay. She was a good mother to two. See, I, I took care of two little girls for about four or five years before I ever remarried. They okay. were three and four, four and a half or something, 18 months apart. And your son was the oldest? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I took care of the little girls by myself for that four or five years. One time we'd hired a new little old gal and one of my favorite little supervisors. They always brought the new employees around to meet me. And this little supervisor gal came in my office giggling her butt off. And I said, what's so funny? And she said, well, you know that little gal I hired a couple of weeks ago? And I said, yeah, she seemed all right. And she said, well, she's got a sick baby. And she asked me, she said, do I need to tell the boss or, or do you do that? She said, no, don't worry about it. She said, besides, he might not be too open to the discussion because he's raised little kids by himself <laughs> while he was working. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I bet that was tough. It was, but we made it. So. How did you make it, do you think? Comfortably, really. Uh, I had a lot to do. At that time, I only had one convention a year, and my, my deceased now mother-in-law would keep the kids for me. Okay. So I was real lucky there. If I had to go somewhere, she'd keep them always. Mm -hmm. how, how did the day-to-day -day work? I would take them to a babysitter. Okay. If I had something going on, I'd pick them up and take them to her. Mm -hmm. But if I, I would just, uh, you know, normal day, I'd just go pick them up. Right. I, I made the meals and ironed the clothes and everything. Yeah. So when these gals talk about being a single mother, I'm, yeah. I'm a little bit jaundiced. <laughs> you know what? I can appreciate it, you know, because yes. I've been there. Appreciate the challenge, yeah. but, right. and it can be done. I had a bunch of really good people, and invariably, if I had somebody doing a job, they'd be my pet, you know. Mm -hmm. I had 10 or 12 pets in the, <laughs> in the office. My pets were the people that got stuff done. Yeah. If I said, hey, I need all the trophies put in the box, and one of them did it, yeah. that'd be, that's my pet, you yeah. betcha. I'd give them another chore, but I had good employees. You were married multiple times, right? Uh -huh. Why do you think that is? Are you that hard to live with? I don't know. I think I made bad choices, you know. I think probably uh, one before, I'd have better sense it probably stuck. Mm -hmm. But the last one, it was a it was a pain anyway. She had so damn many emotional problems. Mm -hmm. Hell, they gave her three different diagnoses all, all of the time she was going to shrinks. Mm -hmm. Did y'all get along decently after your yeah. divorce? Yeah. And then I uh, came out here, and she was happy as hell for several years. But it got to be very uncomfortable, and I was trying to figure out a way to get out of it. And uh, she one day said she wanted to do it. So I said, let's do it. You know, I told her, I said, you know, I, I made a, a pretty decent retirement for one family, but two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What were your thoughts on, I don't know if you invested for re retirement or, did, you know, I did off and on, but I never did invest well. I did a 401k, dumped all I could in that. Mm -hmm. I think I sold off just about everything of investments I had. I don't know. I was always a little bit gushy, and I didn't have time to keep up with it. Yeah, you know? right, yeah. Look back on uh, the things you 
shoulda, coulda, and wished you might have done, and as far as that goes? I don't know. You probably would have done it the same way. Right. I can, I can see some mistakes that could have been handled a lot better. You know, in that 35 years, I had a pretty good run. Mm -hmm. Had a lot of friends, a lot of, a lot of people that followed my trail. Yeah. I bet you did have a lot of friends because you've got a lot of friends right now because anywhere that we go we're and you're usually good about sliding in a little bit after us and it's just fun to watch the crowd half the people in the joint will jump up and holler red <laughs> run over and give you hugs and shake your hands and yeah. i guess that's we got a bunch of good people right we got a few zeros we got a bunch of good people too. What do you like about living out out here where you live now? What I had it, a nice it, place over on Morningside, the M Streets, yeah, in Dallas. I didn't want to stay up there in the concrete and the traffic. Yeah. So we'd already bought property out here, and my ex, she said, "Well, I came home, told her we're, we're going to close the office." She said, "Well, are you telling me I got to move to Omaha?" I said. <laughs> I've already told Jack I, that I need two weeks to decide, and I told him I wasn't going to go. But uh, I said, no, I think what we ought to do is build a house down there on that property at Ben Wheeler. And that, of course, in Dallas, prices have gone out of sight. Oh, same. yeah, it's crazy. They're kind of crazy out of here. Oh, yeah. Mike uh, Thomas, I think you met him, uh, he bought eight acres down 4702, put a trailer on it a while back, got married. He told me he paid 12000 an acre yeah. for a piece that size. Yeah. What made y'all uh, buy land out here? I wanted to buy a little piece out of town, and I was looking at a piece in San Saba, and we came across a newspaper ad, and the Dallas paper had listed this piece that I'm on as primitive, mm -hmm. and it was. I had to park on the darn road and walk in with a chainsaw to get shit cut down <laughs> to, where I could, to where I could get my old Jeep in and pull trees You'd in. you get off the road? Yeah. <laughs> It really was primitive, but he needed the money, and then I had a little money, so I bought it in cash and bought it cheap, you know. Yeah. And then uh, we, we lucked into Wick Wilkerson. Into what? Wick Wilkerson. Okay. The contractor. Okay. I asked the banker, I said, uh, I said, Ben, I'm going to build a house, but I said, uh, you hear lots of stories about contractors. Mm -hmm. And I said, who would, you, who would you use around here at Cheap Trust? He said, see this guy. He said if he likes you and he thinks he can work with you, he'll build you as good a house as you can have. Really? He said, I had him remodel my bank. Oh, wow. And he said, uh, if you don't, he'll find some excuse for being busy. <laughs> I saw him do that to somebody later. Yeah. But I called him and we talked on the phone a little bit. And then I came out and we sat down and I showed him a picture of what we were thinking about doing. And visited a little while and he finally says, have you got a little while? It's about five o'clock. I said, yeah, why? I want to show you a couple of houses. He drove me around, showed me two or three houses he was building, got back in the driveway, and he said, well, I think I can work with you. I'll build a house for you. Wow. Just like that. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, he died three or four years ago. He was one heck of a nice man. What's his name? Wick Wilkerson. Wick Wilkerson, that's uh -huh. right. From Canton or Ben Wheeler area? Uh, as a matter of fact, he lived up there on 4111. Okay. Off to the left there. I know, I know what it was. It wasn't um, Zig Ziglar. What? It was your buddy and Ben Wheeler that you, you and your buddy that got Ben Wheeler back on the map. Oh, I didn't do it. I just, I was there to back it up. Well, you're talking about. Tell me about that process. Well, you're talking about uh, books. 
Mm-hmm. He put the money into it, energized the people. I just came around. We got to be good friends before it was all over. Had Brooks already kind of laid the plans before you bought land here no, or no. about the same time? No, he didn't start until I bought my property in 90 or 91. Okay. And he started working on the stuff up here in 05 or 06. Okay. That was a good while. But we, we spent a lot of time together and got to be good friends. I He asked me one time about joining his, what is it called, the development Still company? Development corporation. Yeah, but it, I had something going on. Somebody in the family was dying or something. And I told him I couldn't devote the time right to mm -hmm. him. And then after he died, it, it didn't have proper management. Well, tell me about his plan. He sounds like an interesting guy. He was from out here. Okay. And matter of fact, he lived next door to a little lady friend of mine who lives over here on 2909 uh, that worked with me 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, he lived next door to them when he was growing up. And he wanted to, you know, the town died, and he wanted to bring it back to life. Okay. And he had the money, and he's good with people. He can he can get people to do stuff, you know. Okay. And, uh, what, and I, uh, I really liked that now because that's the way I operated, you know. Was he from the Metroplex at Dallas? Or? He was from here, but he made his money in the Metroplex. Okay. Yeah. What What did he do up there? He He was into. He had a. a software company, and he had a, an oil operation, and I don't know what else. Yeah. He told me though one day about that company that where he made most of his money. He, I said, Wick, what did you do with the money did you, with the company? Did you, do you go, go back to chairman or whatever, you know? He said, no. He said, the people helped me build it, and I gave it to him. Oh, really? And I don't know how much he had. Reese got married. She married us. I had a little jewelry shop downtown. Mm -hmm. I was afraid it was all going to fall apart. Uh, and when Summer was running mowers and Sarah was running the other one, they were squabbling. And I told both of them one day, I said, listen, Brooks built this damn thing to where one place operated beautifully, he closed it early, and, they, and the people would go to the other one. Mm -hmm. It was a, a complimentary thing, and y'all trying to make it a competition. competition. Yeah. So they finally got together. Of course, you know, Summer didn't need the money. She didn't care about running it. Mm. The jazz band used to come every fourth Saturday yeah. for years. They finally quit, and I saw Mac somewhere at some deal in Canton, I mean in Tyler one day, and I said, what was the deal? Y'all don't come back. He said, it wasn't my idea. He said, Brooks wanted to get a bunch of more bands. We quit. Well, two or three years later, he was gone, and they were falling down. And one day I told Summer, I said, Summer, if you'll just do a little bit of word-of-mouth advertising and get them back, you'll fill the damn place up. I said, Mac has already asked me two or three times, is he going to be able to come back over here? So she did. She booked them. Mm -hmm. And they always start at 7 o'clock, you remember? Yeah. Well, the vocalist called me, and she said, uh, hey, we're going to be there on Saturday. Can you come? I said, well, sure, I'll be there. So I did, and I'll be damned. I walked in at 7 o'clock. Summer was walking out the door, and the house was full. <laughs> Is that the most recent time? Way back, Way back before okay. Holly and before, yeah. before Melissa. We just saw them for the first time up there recently when they came back. Uh, you met my dad. Uh -huh. They were really good. Yeah. Really good. And I shared the table with that young lady, and her grandfather was one of the sax players. Oh, okay. He used to play the trumpet huh. in the military. He was, you know, one of the... One of my buddies went to my school, as a matter of fact. Uh, he used to play the... He had two saxes. He was on the front row on the left side or his right side mm -hmm. 
and I asked Mac about him. He said, no, he moved off to Arkansas. Oh, really? So. Well, this guy was the oldest one in the band. He was 92, I think. 92? 92. Is he the little guy slick-headed on the front row? He was on the front row. And he always did a wind-up when they... No, he was next to him. Okay. No, he was not the guy that kind of shut everything off. Not him. He was okay. No, I think it was a young guy, and then him, and then the guy on the end. He started playing the trumpet, and then he was in his 60s, and he said, you know, he said his lips wouldn't hold up anymore to play in the trumpet. Uh-huh. So we went and bought him a sax and told him himself how to play the sax as yeah. Interesting to talk to him. We talked to him when they took the well, He's got some, some real talented pros in there. They really do. My, uh, my friend Mike, what's that little college down there? He was their, he was their uh, professor of music there, and, and the guy that we're talking about that was slick-headed, professor at one of the bigger colleges. Mm-hmm. His wife is the dark-headed gal that used to take tickets all the time. Okay. She's a real sweet lady. Yeah, it was it was fun to watch. I'll keep an eye out for them and where I can see them in different places. Well, it wasn't uh, as crowded as crowded as I hoped it would have been. No, old uh, Pat asked me a week or so ago, to get him a number to call the Tuxedo Cats. I've been trying to get him to get the Tuxedo Cats two or three months. And finally, I, I figured Melissa just don't like me. I finally just said, fuck it, I'm not going to bother. He asked me about the number, and I got him. I gave him Todd's number. I don't know if they've talked yet or not. I'll have to ask me. What was involved? I mean, you know, you talked about why he wanted to do something with Ben Wheeler, and it's always interesting and inspiring to see somebody kind of come back and, and take an old place and right. make it new again and why do you think it I mean there's always lots of reasons I guess the timing of things but what do you think's made it I don't know I think it was just a personal thing he wanted to he wanted to see it grow again because mm-hmm. uh, he, he'd been you know he'd been living here when they had seven gins and a whole bunch of other stuff the academy and whatnot right. I think that was probably big part of it. Making sure that something like this outlives you is not an easy thing to do, too. I don't know how he structured that, but yeah. the, the foundation has got, uh, I don't know how much money he put into it, but I know he left enough there to keep it going a while. Right. And I don't know how much room Lee, uh, Reese has got to delve, delve into it. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully it will continue to you know, get up where it's on its own and, and do well and stay as unique of a place as it is. Well, see what he did with those little buildings like the uh, the ice cream parlor and the hat place, yeah. soap unit. He let them have those places for a dollar a year, okay. for a couple of years. And then he was going to incrementally bring them on reasonably. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody got teed off because they were used to paying nothing, you know. So uh, it's almost like getting off welfare or something. Yeah. yeah. How many kids and grandkids do you have? Well, I lost one daughter to cancer, so I got a, a daughter and a son. The son's retired. The daughter's a doctor. Grandkids, I'll have to count again. Uh, I lost one kid and I lost a grandkid. Nine, ten, eleven grandkids. Well, I got one great great now. Okay. One great, one great great. Okay. 30 years from now and they can hear Grandpa Red talking about life. What would you like to say to him? And you know, just about living, about living well and just about having a good life. Well, you can tell me why you read it. I'll give you an example. One time, you've probably heard of this, y'all might have had it in your, at the fire station. Uh, one of the Hayes Company or somebody like that came up with, a, with an interview thing several years ago and it was called a structured interview. 
and what they did, you, you picked out two people, picked out X number of questions, and you both asked those questions to every person. Both of the interviewers could ask that person one question of their own. Oh. You make it. And my counterpart I had doing with it for, I don't know, several jobs that we were uh, applying for. I asked this question. I got to the last person before we ever entered it right. Uh-huh. And the question was, I asked him, I said, what attribute do you think more necessary to do this job or any other job connected with people in business? The answer, obviously, is integrity or honesty, you know. Got to the last person, and he answered. What did the other I, people usually say? Stick up in all kind of, you know, the things that, that, you, that you need to do to do a job right, you know. Mm-hmm. Being on time, all the, all the things that would make you... Uh, make your job do be done well, but uh, that wasn't what I was asking for. How do you demonstrate integrity? What do you What do you feel like the definition of that is, or a working definition? It's just using the truth. Some people go out of their way to tell a bullshit lie when the truth will work better. Right. I've told all my kids always: the only thing you leave this life with is your word. Mm-hmm. If, you, if your word ain't no good, ain't nothing left, you know. I want to say I was flexible and fair. Well, I hope you get to see a lot more of your grandchildren and your great-grandson, correct? Yeah. He's a little character. Probably got some red in him, I mean. <laughs> you know, he hadn't been sick yet. Really? He didn't have tooth problems. He's got a mouthful of teeth. He didn't whine teething. Yeah. Uh, he hadn't had the ear crap. Yeah. Uh, he just hasn't been sick. That's he had awesome. a, a little bit of a runny nose a week or so ago when the kid got it. Yeah. But other than that, he just has not been sick. That's good. So I hope that continues. Yeah. I mean, you're 87. You're obviously fit. Pretty well. Pretty well. If you look at your average 87-year-old oh, yeah. person, <laughs> did you have a workout regimen or just like, like genetics? You oh, just lucky? Working was a workout regimen to me. Most people want to... Just go to work instead cheer. of working out. Well, just go to work. Yeah, right. Mow the grass, you know. And I worked, I worked all my life. Of course, when we grew up, you had to, you know. Right. We mowed grass for 25 cents a yard. Yeah. Well, I really do remember it being a quarter of 50 cents. Yeah. Push more, you know. Right. There's an art to that, sharp, keeping the blades sharp and yeah. everything. Well, you learned something because you didn't have the blades sharp, you didn't cut it very well. All right. What do you think is necessary for, you're going to take that, uh, you're going to be here another 15, 20 years, you're going to have that great-grandson to train up to be a decent human being yeah. what what do you I'm what are the things you i'm going to have to teach them the multiplication table you know they don't use them anymore they don't use them really i asked uh, several years ago the place up here was full and i went in by myself and one of the girls asked me if i would mind sitting with a couple and i said no i don't mind so i went over sat down with this couple and they were both school teachers at grand saline mm-hmm. and he was a math teacher and uh, i asked him i said hey uh, do you have any kids, any senior kids in your class that know how to figure square root? He said, we don't even teach it anymore. Yeah. All they know is to hit that funny little V on the calculator. Oh, yeah. But yeah, they don't teach the multiplication tables, don't teach cursive. I don't know how they're going to learn logic. Mm-hmm. Were you a big reader? All my life, read really? voraciously. What do you remember reading? A lot of fiction, non I read a lot of trash, but I read a lot of autobiographies, too. Mm-hmm. Biographies. Got any you'd like to recommend? There's a little book club here, some gals, they go to the winery and, and Kaylin said something to me about it one day. And the little gal that kind of spearheads it said, hey, do you have any uh, 
recommendations. And I said, well, if you want to read something that's almost a mirror of what's happening right now, you might read, uh, can you remember the dude's name? Anyway, I took him three books. Good grief. I started to say Clavel. He's the one who wrote Shogun and all that bunch. And okay. they were really good. Mm-hmm. You remember the name of the book? Huh? You remember the name of the book? Oh, uh, he wrote Shogun, Taipei. Oh, okay. Uh, and five or six others in that same series. And I never cared anything about books about the Orient myself. Mm-hmm. But I had a, one of my managers one time, that I had to take something home or get something or something. And we were going to dinner. He rode with me and I went in. He noticed I had a bunch of book, bookshelf stuff. And he said, hey, have you ever read a Shogun? James Clevel. I said, no, I never have. Well, he sent me the book. And I put it up on top of the shelf. <laughs> Laid there for months. Finally, one day, I ran out of something to read. And I started, <laughs> and about 3 o'clock in the morning, I put it down. Really? You just couldn't? And just... after that, I read everything that guy wrote. Fiction? Or uh, kind of a blend of Yeah, it was events, fiction, but, but it, was, it was about uh, the, uh, and I'm sure they were fictitious groups, right. but about the groups that, that uh, built up uh, Taiwan, mm-hmm. and uh, what's the other country over there that they had to give back? Anyway, one of the other te- territories that they had to give back to China. Okay. And they were an elite uh, family. It went over several hundred years. Yeah. yeah. You have a favorite nonfiction book that you really. recommend? Uh, I, I like just about everything. Yeah. Very little that I read that I don't like. I've only put down a couple of books in my life mm-hmm. that I didn't want to finish. What have you read recently? I reread a couple of Creighton's books lately that I hadn't read in 10 or 15 years. Mm-hmm. Or longer, maybe. And I didn't even remember. It's amazing. At, at about five years, you might catch a little bit. Yeah. But it's amazing how much your brain can forget. Yeah. I picked up a, a book, that, and I'm always marking when I read them. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to keep them, I'll mark it and stick them in. Even With, papers. How do you mark it? I just mark it red, January. Uh, oh, okay. See. The date. So when you started it. Oh, okay. Perfect. And I picked up one that had eight on it. And I said, well, I surely won't remember this. But I thought, sure, I'd remember some of it. I, I remember there was some little blurb in there that I, I thought sounded familiar, but it may have been something from something mm-hmm. else. You know. But it's, it's amazing how your, your mind just puts it out. And that's escape reading, too. You know, uh-huh. you know, try to read it to just kill time. Yeah, it's a brand new book. All yeah, over right. again. That's right. <laughs> Do you like Napoleon Hill stuff back in the day? Napoleon we- Hill... Thinking Girl Rich and all that kind of stuff? Never cared much for Never. That. How big is your library? How I'm many so, books do you think you have? When I moved down here, we, we gave several hundred hardbacks to one of the Christian bookstores up here. Uh huh. I haven't really... There's, there's several authors that I want to keep because I'll go back and read them again that I really like, you know. Who are those? Uh, well, like Childs. Lee Childs. Okay. And it's a mystery type, mm-hmm. escape type reading. But I really like his stuff. You probably saw the show Jack Reacher? Yes. He wrote Reacher. That was his first set. Okay. And uh, I read a deal about him interviewing uh, Tom Butt for uh, the park. Cruise? Yeah. You know, he's a little short yeah, guy. Yeah, short dude. Well, uh, Reacher is supposed to be 6'5". Yeah. And like 240 or something. I think there's a new there's a new one of those coming out with a, a more realistic Reacher All right. uh, actor. <laughs> yeah, I've heard several people talk about that. They couldn't. They were like aggravated when. Yeah, Tom I was Cruise too. Was. But he said, "No, he's just such a nice guy." He said, "He's and you know, have you ever been to Universal Studios or one of those?" No, and I have not. Well, they trick us. Uh, like uh, 
the cowboy shows, you know, they're, they're always, the guys always, hats hitting the damn top. Mm -hmm. The doors are smaller. Oh. Yes. Yeah. And they do all kind of garbage like that to make them look bigger. I see. You know, Randolph Scott's a little bitty guy, five, six or something. <laughs> Hell, he looks like he's big as John Wayne. Uh -huh, yeah. What kind of regrets do you have after 87 years? I told my daughter sometime back, I said, you know, I figure I've only made two or three major mistakes. A lot of little stuff that uh, right. could have done different. But I said, uh, one of them is somehow allowing you to become a Democrat. Like you had any say in it. Were you ever big into politics? No, I got so disgusted with it because they don't tell us the truth. You know, we've been telling us for years that the border is closed. 10,000 people come across it every day and it's closed. That ain't possible. And we know they want them here for a reason, but we also know that we're getting a whole bunch of terrorists in here. Yeah. Hell, we, they're worried about a few little people coming in and, and being a cell. Mm -hmm. And now we got millions coming in, and a lot of the time you look at them and it's, it's uh, military-aged guys coming in. Mm -hmm. What are they coming for? You obviously found out you were a tech guy, so you're comfortable. Well, I used know. to be. I'm not anymore. It's hard to keep up. I have to, to keep up. make a phone call now, you know. <laughs> and I've got a grandson who's a real nerd. He built me a computer. Oh, really? And when I get a problem, I call him up and say, hey, my phone's doing something funny. He, <laughs> he has me give him a few codes, and he fixes my phone remotely. You know? Wow. That's impressive. It's also a little bit scary. What yeah, if right. Somebody, <laughs> somebody else has those few codes? Well, when I had my last phone, the charger port broke, blew up. And they told me, hey, we can put a new one in for about 75 bucks, but they don't usually work, and it ain't guaranteed. Mm. I said, okay. well, why should I want to do that? To yeah. you? Well, I lost nearly all of my contacts and most of my pictures and all that right. stuff. Yeah. And I handed it to my grandson, and he got nearly all of them back. That's good. I don't know. I figure he hacked into something. Yeah. I don't know. It's strange, you know. It's interesting for sure. You know, you got more pictures right there than you probably have ever in your whole life. Yeah. Just like that, they just disappear. They're not in a photo album. Right. I can remember my grandmother buying those, the Polaroid. Yeah. Do you where it sh shot out the bottom, you took right. the picture. Oh, <laughs> we've got some of those in our photo albums. Yeah. That was... That was high tech. Oh, yeah, and they fade away, too. Yeah, they do. Well, do you have any other life advice for me? Um, that's really why I do these things is for oh, life advice for myself and, like I said, your... I like your prompts. ...kids and grandkids. And uh, You told me, I asked you about how much money a man should have in his wallet, you know, when he goes out just for the regular stuff plus an emergency. And uh -huh. I think you said... A, Couple hundred is good. Right. So Stick it in the back. I'm started. You know, just have it put back and. And I always do that. Yeah. How about taking care of yourself? We we kind of you don't work out, but you just naturally trim and obviously I think athletic. It's a, the, the balance, you know, metabolics. I, I, last year, I, I I have a hard time, and I found out this is something with old people. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a hard time making myself drink water. Yes. The EMT told me he said, hey. Uh, all the people your age have that same damn problem. Really? So, I don't know if that caused it or something. I got sick one evening at home. It was one Saturday. And I was talking to a little girlfriend that lives way out in Weatherford. And she said, uh, she said, well, I guess you're going dancing. I said, matter of fact, the tuxedo catch are somewhere, and I was going. Mm -hmm. And this was like at 5 o'clock. And we hung up the phone, and almost instantly, I was sick. 
And I said, hey, I don't feel like going out. I don't have to go. So I didn't. And I gradually got sicker and sicker and sicker. What happened after I finally went to the hospital, they said my, my platelets were down to nearly nothing. Really? And you know, I never, I've always given blood. I got O negative. Mm -hmm. So I've given blood for years. But I never did the platelet thing. Never never paid any attention to what their, their use was. Mm -hmm. The spine develops them. They said I was on the end, right. you know. Well, wow. circling the drain was the term that the doctor used. Man. And because uh, the doctor came in and told me, he said, we're concerned about your uh, platelets. And I said, they're down to 15. And I said, well, what's normal, 25? She said, no, 150 to 450. So she said, I, I said, well, do they bounce back? She said, yeah, when well, we find the right antibiotic and we had to do a blood culture. Uh -huh. Well, two days later, I was up to 78 or some such. Uh -huh. And then I had to go to the clinic up here to get checked on that Monday. I was up to 378. I have no idea what caused it. Man, that is. Yeah. But I, I've always uh, never did work out there. I used to run a lot. Oh, really? But I used to like the 880 and the miles when I was in school. I can see that. Yeah, I never did go for the, even the isometrics crap that mm -hmm. some of the guys did. I remember when I was, uh, had a good friend who had a brother who was 32. And he had two buddies that were 31 and 32. And they were always doing this crap, mm -hmm. running, jogging. <laughs> and all three of those guys died within two months of each other. Really? And I thought, damn, I'm glad I'm not jogging. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that wasn't a, wasn't a big reason. Right. You've definitely got some genes on your side. Well, and, You look uh, great and you sound great. And, uh, when the uh, cardiologist, I, I did the stress test, you know, the treadmill. Mm -hmm. and, the and the cardiologist said, well, all your numbers are good. And I read your history with your ancestors, and they all lived to be antiques. Yeah. So just keep on doing whatever you're doing. Just keep on doing, yeah. <laughs> so just I, keep on doing. But I do have a problem making myself drink water. Yeah. One time I went to Omaha, Nebraska on a project. My boss, predecessor, we had a suite. And one of the guys I was working on a project with, those people, you know, they want to know how many people work for you and all that kind of crap, mm -hmm. you know points and bullshit. So this guy asked me a question. We were having drinks after dinner, sitting in a sitting area there, and the old man smoked cigars. And he was sitting there smoking a cigar. And this boy asked me a question. He said, Red, he said, uh, I've never been to the Southwest. I heard y'all got a big operation down there, but he said, uh, who do you answer to? And I said, well, and what's your directive and who do you answer to? Mm. And I said, well, I said, uh, uh, this guy right here is who I answer to, and the only directive I've ever had is do your best and drive on. And the old man grinned. <laughs> so I knew I'd said the right thing. <laughs> yeah. So do your best and drive on. Drive on. Yep. Okay. Keep doing what you know you should do. And... Yep. Like uh, Churchill said, never give up, mm -hmm. never give up. Way back in Dallas, in the late 50s or early 60s, there was a promoter named Gordon McClendon. I remember that. Was it KLIF? K or radio? Yeah. Is he a radio guy? KLIF. Yeah. And he, he made a movie called oh. The Killer Shrews. He did made it up in Lake Dallas. Oh, really? And he did all kind of stuff. But uh, he had a radio station called KIXL. Okay. And you could buy a radio it just had that station on it. Really? Yeah, and it was all uh, 
listening music. Uh-huh. But they had a little thing every 15 minutes. They had a, a little blurb that they put out, and it, and it was called Think It Overs. Something to ponder? Something uh, to ponder? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, they had one one day, and I've remembered it for 60-something years. Yeah. It was, uh, I don't mind taking second place, so long as the person ahead of me has to set a record. Right. <laughs> so I guess that's, that's been in the back of my mind all my life. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of attitude. Yeah. Not necessarily words. You feel like you've had a good life? Yeah. Made some mistakes? Sure. We all do. Guaranteed. If you don't make mistakes, you ain't doing nothing. Guaranteed, yeah. Uh, uh, when you get this old and you start realizing you, you're not going to be able to do all this crap. You know, I've already, a bunch of things in the last two years I've not been able to do that I used to. Really? Or at least if I did, it took longer or tired mm-hmm. me out. And so a lot of stuff I don't bother trying. I still do most of it. Yeah. I, hell, I do most stuff that people 65 and 70 don't do. Mm-hmm. You hate to get to the point where you, where you can't. Yeah. I looked after my grandfather. Uh, she, she was in pretty good shape until she, right before she died. But he was, he was bedridden for years. Oh really? My dad had a stroke. Out of town, had a stroke, and was comatose for ten months. Really? And my mother, they lived in Beaumont at the time, and I had the girls. And my mother would wear herself out going over to the nursing home, driving over there and shaving him and fussing about this and that, you know. And, so I got to where I'd go down. I went down every weekend but two in that 10-month period because I had to do something in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'd take the girls with me and sometimes I'd trust them to go to a ball game or whatever. You hate to get to where you can't do anything. In his case, hell, he didn't know it. Sure. You know, he might have he known when I was talking, but he right. couldn't answer. So, so you, you dread getting to that point. My mother lived uh, to right up to the last minute. Really? She had a, a heart problem for two weeks and stayed in the hospital three or four days. They knew she was going. So it took her down to a different room. The doctor sat there and waited the whole time. She got to a point, we, my sister was with me, and we both talked to her off and on. And she got to a point, it was raining outside, and never will forget it. It was raining outside, and there was a window I could see out. And she said, all of a sudden, she said, well, I'm ready to go now. And I said, well, Mother, don't you want to wait until it quits raining? You know, I thought she was talking about mm-hmm. going home. Get the hell out of here. She said, no, I'm ready to go now. And the blood pressure machine went, Bruh. she went to sleep, just wow. like that. That's the way to do it. You yeah. Know? You've taken care of a lot of people, it sounds like, over your life. Yeah. Does this come naturally to you? I don't know. I, I think it's in your makeup, if you give a shit about people. You know? What's that now? If you give a darn about people. Right. I had a, a lot of people just starting off in the company, and salespeople have one hell of a time getting started. Mm-hmm. You know, it's feast or famine. Yeah. And there's always somebody with a problem. Hell, I probably bought more lunches and drunks and drinks out of my pocket than I did out on an expense account. You know? yeah. I had good people. I had to dump a few bad ones. Now, people like me. I bet yeah. they did. They still do. Your people still like me. They love yeah. you. Hell, I drove 2,200 miles last week to go to a funeral of one of my ex-employees. Really? Yeah, he was a good friend. How do you stay in touch with so many people? When one of our employees died, I talked to one of my little gals. I said, hey, look, we don't have a way for them all to get together. She said, I'll fix up a little site. So she put a little alumni-type site. Mm-hmm. See, all the old heads are dead. There's, there's uh, two gals that are older than me by a year or two. One of them is two years older, and the other one is one. 
that are still alive. All of the rest of them, of the old heads, are dead. And hell, half a dozen of them I've done the eulogies for, you know. Mm -hmm. the, the ones now, for the most part, are the young people that came in in the 80s, you know, some in the 70s, but mostly in the 80s, and maybe the 90s, I don't know. Because we had 300 people in one building and 200 more scattered out on the states. And I still hear from some of those old secretaries too. Yeah. You know, birthdays and shit like that, they'll call yeah. me up or send me a note. That site helps. I always put something on there when somebody dies. Yeah. Whether it's managers or, or house people. And there are people pretty good to keep up with, with the rest of them. Hell, when we had that little birthday party, I think I had 25 from the company of came here. Well, you've helped a lot of people over the years, and I'm sure you'll help a lot more. And well, you help yourself when you do that. Yeah, you do. You're right. But it's been very interesting, yeah. Red Willingham, to hear your story, kind of the life and times. Well, I've had a, I've had a pretty good life. I would say so. <laughs> Keep dancing, Red. All right, buddy. <laughs>